let your word go out. I pray the anointing, your awesome presence would be so strong, Lord, to help us to get captivated, to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus. Tune us into you, Lord. And I pray that as I speak this, that your word will be as the seed in the sower, living seeds of truth that is sown out in the good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives that will be watered by the Holy Spirit and take root in people's lives and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, that your word will go out and it will be the washing of the water of the word. It will be light shining and dispelling any darkness and lies and deception of the enemy. Lord, that it will be a hammer that breaks down every stronghold, the awesome power of your word. And, Lord, it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So, Lord, we pray over it. We just bind anything the enemy would try to do. Command to go from the word. This word will go forth and accomplish everything in every life that it is meant to. We thank you, Lord, for it. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I'm continuing this series, this small, tiny series. I'm doing part 22. We're talking about the end times. There's no way you can do this in one sermon, guys, all right? But anyway, today I want to get into breaking the Jezebel yoke, but I'm going to deal with, as we're dealing with end time prophecy, I want to show you a couple things that maybe you haven't seen. And don't worry, I'm going to keep this, this series going until we get done. We've covered a lot, but there's still quite a bit more to go. So one of the things, you can't deal with end time prophecy and not deal with spiritual warfare, and especially the Jezebel spirit, things like the Antichrist spirit. Um, these things are going to be very pervasive in the last days. But let me go ahead and read this, and I'm going to really go tonight just, uh, you know, I'm going to move quickly. There's a lot of points that I could stop and dwell on, but since there's been such a foundation laid in this ministry, I, I probably won't. But still, I'm hoping to hit on some points I haven't before. But Revelation 2, 18, let's go ahead and start with that. And the angel of the church of Thyatira write this. The Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than they were at first. So as you read this, it seems like things are going quite well. But he says, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches um, and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat um, things sacrificed to idols. Now, I want you to notice, because we're going to come back to this, there's a tolerating of Jezebel, but then it also says the prophetic and the teaching that's interesting because she calls herself a prophet and does teaching. So those seems to be the areas this spirit is pervasive. And then it also says um, that she teaches God's people to do acts of immorality and then idolatry. I want you to notice those two things, immorality and idolatry. And I'll come back and talk about this later. It says, I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. Pestilence is sickness. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to the rest of you who are in Thyatira, 
who do not hold this teaching and who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them. I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and keeps my deeds, he says, I will give him authority over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of potter are broken into pieces. As I have also received authority from my father, I will give him the morning star. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And not everybody has an ear to hear. All right, so there's three promises to those that overcome the Spirit. He said, I will give you the morning star, which is great favor. He says, I will cause you to rule with a rod of iron. That is having strength. Okay, there's, there's those that have faced this thing and overcome it. The Lord gives us a, a strength, an inner strength that, you know, iron is not easily bent. And the Lord is wanting us to be able to be strong so that we're not easily manipulated by people. Okay. So you will rule with a rod of iron. And he says that you will dash the nations to pieces like pottery. That is widespread authority over principalities and powers. So let me say it again. Those three promises. This is very key. If you face this spirit and you overcome it, the Lord said, I will give you great favor, the morning star. I will give you a rod to rule with a rod of iron. You'll have inner strength to not be manipulated. You'll be able to have to stand in your office of authority and not be manipulated by people. There'll be a strength, an inner strength to overcome. And then number three, you'll have widespread authority over principalities and powers. There's a lot in this little passage. It gives you a glimpse into a major attack of the enemy against churches. When Benny Baker was here, you know, he referenced with me the apostolic ministry, but he also referenced the prophetic ministry. And he said very clearly that these type of ministries seem to come under an attack of the spirit. And he talked about how this thing has attacked his ministry many times. Of course, he's prophetic. He seems to draw that, you know. And if you have an apostolic and also a prophetic ministry, okay, which River of Life does, and you have the spirit of Elijah, which is a, a fiery prophetic anointing that has to do with revival, these type of things draw a spiritual attack, especially in the realm of a Jezebel spirit. But I believe that things have been prayed over and this ministry is not going to have that in the future. Amen. And there was a, a pastor that I love dearly. He was saying that he would walk through his church and pray because Satan was sending some of these people. And he would pray this prayer. And this is a lot of wisdom right here. He said, Lord, don't allow them. He'd walk through the aisles and have his hands up. Lord, don't allow them to be able to develop any type of meaningful relationships in this church. But like an infected tooth, Lord, that you would begin to uproot them and dispel them out and get rid of them, Lord. And he said that as he started praying that and walking through the church like that, that these things started manifesting and people would get offended and then they would leave. That's how God gets rid of people, just so you know. They get offended and they leave. Well, I have a lot I could say, but I'm going to keep moving here. Matthew 24, 11, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. So we know that in the last days, there's going to be false prophets and false teachers. 
Some of these may have even started good, but they're not in where they need to be with the Lord today. So false prophets and false teachers, that is a realm that Jezebel very powerfully sits enthroned over. And we know that Jezebel will be very strong in the last days because the Bible says that there will be this, Revelation 17 and 18, it talks about this horror of Babylon. If you study the scriptures, you know that two things real quick. Let me talk about pride, and I'll come back to this. When you read Job, was it 40 or 41, one of those, and it gives a description of Leviathan. It's really this crazy sea monster. Remember reading about this? And this giant Leviathan spirit. And then you go to the book of Revelation, and it starts talking about the Antichrist, the beast that came out of the sea. And you can't help but notice the similarities between the two. That beast out of the sea was this huge um, sea monster creature with multiple heads, multiple horns. And then you also see the description of Job with this huge sea monster coming out as well. And I believe what the Lord is trying to say is, is that, first off, that Satan started out in the Garden of Eden as a snake, but he ends up in the book of Revelation as a huge dragon. And dragon in Greek is a huge serpent. So there's this growing in power, if you will, in the last days. Also, we know Leviathan has to do with pride. And I believe this, the Lord is saying that the Antichrist kingdom is going to rule over the children of pride. There's going to be a big marked difference between God's people that are really humbling themselves under his mighty hand and getting things right and those that are going to fall into the deception of the Antichrist spirit um, with pride. And see, I believe that this Antichrist, when he comes to power, this, this huge sea monster, which represents his worldwide kingdom, this Babylonian kingdom, which is geopolitical, economical, military, the governments of the world, he's going to sit in throne. But the people that are going to follow him are people that are full of pride. And let me tell you something about pride. One of the main things you see about pride is this. People are easily offended. And what are you seeing today? You're seeing a, a society of a bunch of big, spoiled brat babies that are offended about everything. Listen, that's pride. And pride is going to be what plays right into that Antichrist system. So I'm trying to show you something here. This this. This is coming to fruition. It's like it's coming to its fullness. In the last days, the Bible says the end of the age is the harvest. It's like everything is going to ripen and come to its fullness. I believe that the kingdom of God, the children of God, are going to see Book of Acts Christianity probably greater than the early church. We're going to see the greatest revival, the greatest harvest, the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it's like everything comes to its fullness in that respect. All the, the labor, all the prayer, all the fasting of people that have gone on before us, some of them maybe hundreds, thousands of years ago that prayed, and all, it's like the fullness of all these prayers are going to culminate in this end-time revival. But then you also have on the other side, you have all the fullness of evil that's been sown into humanity come into its fullness. And so when you're dealing with the Jezebel spirit, you're dealing with a spirit that is going to be very religious. See, the Antichrist spirit is going to be more with the Antichrist person in that geopolitical realm. But the Jezebel spirit, 
is going to traffic in the spiritual realm a lot. The whore of Babylon, remember I talked to you about the rise of the false church and the false prophet. That is what I'm talking about. That's where that spirit of Jezebel is going to be very, very strong. All right, so let me give you a few things. We know the story about Jezebel and Ahab, so I can't go back and read the whole thing with Elijah and Jezebel and calling down fire and all the false prophets. Elijah killed them all, you know. You guys know the story. Jezebel had torn down the altar of God, and they were worshiping Baal. And Elijah stood up and said, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If, if Baal's God, then worship Baal. But if God be God, then worship him. And so he drew the line at Mount Carmel. He, he had these, all these prophets of Baal trying to summon their spirit to call down fire on their sacrifice. Nothing happened, so he started making fun of them. Then he had the altar to the Lord rebuilt, and he prayed, and God answered by fire. After God's fire fell, then the prophets of Baal were gathered and killed, and it was a great revival. But in the midst of that great revival, that Jezebel spirit began to really emerge and backlash with a vengeance against Elijah. As great of a man of God as Elijah was, Elijah found himself under the attack of a Jezebel spirit, and he was so depressed. I want you to remember the word depressed. He was so depressed and suicidal that he went out into the wilderness underneath a broom tree and wanted to die. One of the greatest men of God in the, all of the Old Testament became suicidal under the oppression of this thing. He goes back to um, the mountain of God. He sought the Lord there. God spoke to him, and out of that encounter with God, we know he came back and he t had to anoint. I believe God wanted to use Elijah, but Elijah never broke out of that completely. So the Lord had him anoint three key people, Hazael, king over Aram, and then he had him anoint Elisha to succeed him as prophet in Jehu. Between those three men, Jezebel was dealt with. Hazael came in, and he brought the military might. God allowed the heathen nation to come in and really hurt Israel, but it broke them down some. You know, God will allow the enemy to do some things sometimes when people need to get delivered of stuff, amen? He'll allow there to be this humbling, this trial. How many knows God allows some trials? So he allowed Hazael to bring his military, and Israel started going through some trials. It was humiliating. Then Jehu came to power as king, and Jehu led a military campaign inside of Israel to destroy Jezebel's family. And then we know Elisha rose up in great power as a man of God and was used as well significantly against that spirit. So between those three men, Jezebel was defeated. Well, let me show you a couple things here because I really want to bring this home with River of Life. This sermon is geared here today to help people come into a new place of freedom. As I said before, Jezebel rules over false prophets and opposes the true prophetic voice. There will be belittling and tearing down of authority. When you're dealing with the Jezebel spirit, that Jezebel spirit will do everything within its power to try to discredit the true prophetic voice of God and discredit the person that voice is coming from. They'll try to belittle and demean and tear them down. So, for example, if it's a pastor, there's somebody there that's real negative about their ministry. That's a Jezebel spirit. But yet at the same time, they will be really positive and uplifting of other ministries. 
and some of whom probably are not even of the Lord because that Jezebel spirit loves the false prophet in the false teaching realm. So this begs the question, somebody asked me this the other day, and this is a really good, I need to talk about this because I didn't know if people knew here that much about it, but so what is true prophecy? True prophecy in the Bible is just simply inspired speech where the Lord is speaking through you. Not like a robot, you can filter it. In fact, the Bible says the prophecy is subject to the prophet, so you can get a word. In other words, you get just some kind of information from the Lord. Most of the time, it's going to be encouraging and build up if it's from the Lord. But there will be times that somebody that's truly used in the prophetic may see something to bring correction or to expose the enemy. But there's been some false teaching in this area where people have taught this. This came out of a mainstream Pentecostal movement, which I grew up, you know, full gospel. So I take this in the right spirit. But out of this mainstream Pentecostal denomination, they were worried about people following, just going to these prophetic meetings and just, have you ever met people that are always running to get a word from somebody? Those type, okay, that's not a good way to be. That's a good way to get off, right? And so they were seeing this movement there, and the prophetic ministry is really powerful when it's of God. It, it's, it's amazing. But they were seeing people go run into it. So what they did was they, they said, well, a true prophecy will be something that God has already spoken to you, and then they will confirm it. How many have heard that? All right. That's not true. Um, sometimes it will be that. I've had confirmation for sure through the prophetic. But the Bible does not say that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, it implies the opposite. How many times have you seen in Scripture, even in the New Testament, where God told somebody something through a prophetic voice and they had never heard it before, never thought of it before? So that's not true. That, was, that came out of a pet doctrine that was taught in this particular denomination, okay, to try to deal with some extremes. But, again, they went into an extreme themselves. Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. In Acts 21, 11, now look at this. Paul was ready to go to Jerusalem, and there was a prophet of God used to try to tell him not to go. Paul was, he struggled some with pride. I know some people have tried to deify Paul and all that, but I mean, knows Paul was not God, and Paul was not Jesus, okay? He, he was not perfect. And so people have tried to make him that, but he was somewhat prideful, and he was hard-headed, and they, the prophets tried to warn him, and one of the prophets took this belt of Paul's and wrapped his hands up with it and said, um, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. And Paul went anyway, and he ended up in prison, you know? There was probably a lot easier way for Paul to get to Rome than the way that he chose to get there. But he dealt some with pride, and he was stubborn and hard-headed, and the prophets tried to warn him, but he didn't listen. So just remember that. Keep that in mind. There may be times that a true, legitimate, prophetic word, and I've had this happen to me, is given, and it's not something that you already heard from God about. It's something new to you. Take it to prayer. Because I've had times where God did that, spoke to me through somebody. I was not expecting it at all. I had not thought of it at all. But it was 100% God, and it 100% came about just like they said. But there were other times where God had already spoken to me something in my heart. And a prophetic person just simply brought confirmation. 
But prophecy is inspired speech. It could be something used to predict the future. That can be there. But that's not all that prophecy is. Prophecy, again, is inspired speech. It can be something that brings encouragement or confirmation to a person that's receiving prayer. It can be something that brings direction. It can also be something that brings correction. Let me tell you something. If somebody says they're a true prophetic person, this is one of the things that I would look for. Yes, they will bring encouragement and they speak life. That's true. But if they never expose sin and they never bring correction, I question how accurate they really are because true prophetic people will expose the devil's kingdom. If there's sin, they will expose the sin. I've seen true prophetic people going to churches and they'll be preaching and then they'll say there's sin in this camp and they'll expose it. Hello? So there's got to be this well-balanced, this rounded um, aspect to their ministry. Here's a couple things I want to talk about. Number one, sever any ties of control from others. How many knows that there's a big difference between submitting to authority and submitting to control? I'm going to have to stop and talk about that, but let me go ahead and finish this. You need to sever any ties of control from others. Breaking out of control can be very explosive And people that were in control will usually really act out. They'll get very upset. In other words, if there's somebody that is very controlling over another, when that person that's been controlled says, I've had enough, and they challenge it and say, I'm not putting up with it anymore, you get ready because it's about to explode. Okay? But you have to do that. You have to break any ties that control your life. How many of you guys have ever experienced that in your family? You've ever experienced that maybe in the workplace. You've experienced that maybe in a church somewhere where there was somebody that was trying to be controlling to you. Listen, I've already talked about pride, and I've talked about the easily offended stuff. That's pride right there, okay? But let me just talk for a moment. If it's okay that I just say it like it is, but... When I look at the body of Christ across our nation right now, I know that there's a remnant. And I'm very encouraged with what I see with the remnant. I'm seeing them humble themselves and repent of their sin and really pray and fast and seek God for revival. There is a remnant. But by and large, when I look across the whole body of Christ as a whole, I'm very discouraged right now about what I see. I know God's in control. But you know what I see right now? Is it okay that I just say it like it is? Y'all with me on this? I see churches dumbing things down and producing a bunch of little spiritual babies. They're changing diapers in churches instead of preaching the word. They're warming up little bottles, and some of these little bottles are watered-down milk. And there's no room for even the meat of God's word anymore. Now people are so, the the word of God is so watered down to such a, a pitiful Um, milk level that some of the milk is even watered down itself it's so pitiful that when you start talking about something like witchcraft in the church they have no idea even what you are talking about they can't even begin to wrap their mind around the concept they're still having to dwell on jesus loves me this i know 
If you still are in that place, listen, friend, we love Jesus and we know Jesus loves us. But if you have to hear that every day, you are a baby. It's time to get beyond just that. We should know that. Hello? And so when I'm talking about witchcraft in the church, Galatians 5.19, I want you to picture a snake. A snake has two fangs, okay? In the same way, Galatians 5.19 says that witchcraft of the flesh, okay? And that's interesting scripture. How is witchcraft of the flesh? But it, what it is is this, people that are controlling people. They, they're, they're manipulative, um, they're intimidating, and they use means like finances or their size or their tone of voice, whatever, to try to control other people. That's witchcraft of the flesh. But then you also have the other fang in this serpent's head, the other fang, which is Revelation 21, verse 8, when it talks about the dark arts. And that is spellcasting, things like that, witchcraft. But all of witchcraft is meant to control. Just like, for example, in this place, everything is run on electricity. That's the power current in this building. When you go and you crank up your car, everything's combustion. Gasoline is the power source of your vehicle. Satan's kingdom, the power source of Satan's kingdom is witchcraft. That's like the electric current that runs through his kingdom and empowers it. And just like in the kingdom of God, what's the power source? The precious Holy Spirit, his presence, his power is the power source that surges through the kingdom of God. Well, Satan's counterfeit to that is witchcraft. And so we have to understand godly authority and we have to understand witchcraft control and know the difference. So let me stop there for a few minutes because I really feel like people need to know this. I plan on in the future doing a series maybe on marriages and family relationships and things like that. Well, let me tell you something. When you study the Bible and you study about marriage and family dynamics, what, I mean, I realize that the Lord says, love your spouse, but you know what the Lord says over and over in the scriptures about marriage? Order in the home. Read it for yourself. Go, in, go home and look up everything that has to do with marriage, everything that has to do with husbands and wives, raising children, and you're going to see, if you get a pie chart, you're going to see like 95% of what the Bible says about marriage has to do with order in your home. Because God knows when things are in order and things are unified that his blessing can flow in that home. Now, there's other books and things, and there's wisdom in the natural beyond the Bible that can benefit all of us in relationships. There's wisdom there. But when you look in the scriptures, that is predominantly what it's talking about but yet, whenever a lot of people preach on marriage and family, they avoid that very issue. Did y'all hear what I just said? I've heard a lot of people talk about marriage and relationships, and they avoid dealing with the order in the home. Yet, the Bible talks about it more than anything else. Once that is brought into alignment, the power of God can flow in that home. And listen... It was in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, I believe. It might be 2 Peter 3, but I think it's 1 Peter 3. It talks about husbands and wives' relationships. And when it gets to the end of it, it says, Husbands, love your wife and all that. And it says, So that your prayers aren't hindered. 
You know why a lot of prayers are not getting answered in a lot of homes? Because it's out of order. And it's frustrating because they're like, why are things so stubborn? I'm praying about this. I'm believing for this. I'm doing everything I know to do, and it's not budging. You know, some of the most powerful times I've seen God answer prayer with my wife and I is because we've taken a day. We've been doing more of it lately, but we'll take a day where we fast together and we'll, we'll write something down. We're specifically believing God for this and we'll pray about it together in unity. And then we see it answered. Prayers being answered has to do with the order and the unity. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down these words I'm about to give you. This is the most important thing. And this is not just for families. This is for churches. And I've preached on this a lot. But there's got to be order, things lined up in order. But there also has to be unity. So if you're taking notes, write down order and write down unity. And then the last one to write down is honor. Because in Ephesians, when it talks about this, in Ephesians 5, it leads into Ephesians 6. But see, Ephesians 5 talks about husbands being the head, wives submitting, and then children obeying. And it lays out this order. And then after that, it goes into spiritual warfare. And I believe what Paul is trying to say, because if the Ephesian church was birthed in the fires of revival and facing major spiritual warfare, if you read Acts chapter 19. I believe Paul wrote that letter to them saying, guys, you better make sure that your homes are in order because you're going to be facing spiritual warfare concerning the great revival that's taking place in your city. And so when I'm talking about honor, I'm talking about honor and respect shown to one another. Ephesians says the wife to reverence her husband. Look this up. This is all in the Bible. It's just not preached on in a lot of churches. It says wives reverence your husband. And you look that up, what that means is show proper respect to his office. Show proper respect to him. And then it says to the husbands, you need to love your wife. And treat her in a Christ-like manner. You know, I'm going to tell you something. Wives or husbands, if, say, a wife is abusive to the husband, it's going to hinder her spiritual walk. And if the husband is abusive to the wife, and I don't just mean physically. I'm talking about verbally abusive or whatever, disrespectful, dishonoring, tearing them down, belittling them. It's going to hurt their spiritual walk with God. Because bottom line is, that is God's son or God's daughter that you're treating like that. I'm going to tell you, if you want to be victorious in seeing revival and victorious defeating the devil, this is step number one. Number one is the husband has to rise up and lead the family. There has to be this headship. And I've seen two things. I've seen where there's been husbands that refuse to do that. They were passive. They did not want to lead. And their wives really wanted them to, but they didn't. And they shied back from it. I've seen it through the years. I've been in ministry now 20 years, and I've seen a lot. 
and it really hurt the family. And then I've also seen where there was a godly man that sincerely wanted to lead his family, but he had a rebellious Jezebel wife that would fought him tooth and nail and tore him down in front of his kids. It would not let him do it. You know, I've heard a couple preachers over the years say this, and I just shook my head in disbelief, but they said this. They said, well, if a husband will lead, then a, then a wife will automatically submit. That's true sometimes, isn't it? But I promise you, friend, when you're dealing with a Jezebel spirit, that is not true every time. It's not. I've seen it. And so it takes two that are willing. And the, and the thing is, and I'll, I'll get to this later, but we have to love Jesus so much with all of our hearts that we're willing to do whatever we need to do. Amen? Let God change us and do whatever needs to be done in our lives. But it takes a man that loves God with all of his heart saying, you know what, even though it may be hard for me to do, it may go against the way that I was raised. It may go against the way that I feel, but I've got to rise up and lead this family in the ways of God. That's what pleases God. And, and, and I know that that's what God wants from me. So I'm going to begin to step in that direction and God's going to help me. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to change what needs to be changed on my end of it. And then the wife says, you know what? Instead of trying to fix my husband, I love God so much with all my heart that I know that this is what his Bible, his word says in the Bible. I know that this is what he wants from me, and I'm going to do everything within my power to come under that authority and honor that authority. And I'm going to tell you, it takes great faith. Also in that passage in Peter where it talks about your prayers being hindered, it says if the wife will not give way to fear. See, the thing is, Fear is the great hindrance to this. A man that won't rise up and lead a lot of times is afraid to do so. Afraid of failure, afraid of not being able to make godly decisions or whatever. Maybe he didn't have a dad that helped him out. Maybe he went through trauma in his life or whatever it is where he's insecure about it, hurt on the inside. God's got to heal him, okay? But then you also have maybe a wife that's just absolutely terrified and afraid that her husband will not lead her in the ways of God. Listen, we're not given a spirit of fear. Amen? We've got to have faith. When the centurion came to Jesus and said, I need you to heal my servant, and he said, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, Jesus sat there and looked at this centurion, and the centurion said this. He said, Jesus, I know authority, and I know that you're a man of authority. I see it. And he said, I myself am under authority. He's a military man. They don't play around about this stuff. He said, I understand authority. I am under authority, and I also have people as a centurion. I have people under my authority. And Jesus said, it says in the Bible, that he marveled at such great faith that he saw in that man. Why? Because it takes great faith to trust God in realms of authority, meaning this, that I have the faith Okay, let's just talk on behalf of the wife right now. The wife has the faith to believe God as we come in alignment with what the Bible says. I know that God is going to bless this family and lead this family in the ways of God. I have more faith in God to lead this family in the ways it's supposed to be and to move and to bless this family than I do fear in the devil to do the opposite. Does that make sense? There's a faith factor where the, the wife will pray for the husband, bless the husband, but then step out in faith and say, I believe that God is in this 
This is the order he wants. He's going to bless this marriage. He's going to bless my husband with wisdom. And I believe God's in control of this. Does anybody see what I'm saying here today? It's, it's faith. You see, a lot of people get out of faith and they get in fear. And while they're in fear, now they want to control. That right there is the door for the Jezebel spirit many times. It's fear that leads to control. And the word in Greek for the wife submitting, I don't have it memorized. It's in one of my books. But it's a word, though, that implies that the wife willingly does it on her end. But when it goes just a few verses later and it talks about children obeying their parents, that Greek word is different, and it means forced. It means the parents are going to whatever, some corporal discipline and love, amen? some timeouts, some grounding, whatever it is, but you're going to do what we tell you to do, you know. And they rise up in their authority and they, and they raise their children that way. But there's an order, and when things are in order, man, there is a flow of God's blessing that is so powerful. But when things get out of order, it is a major door for the enemy. And secondly, there's got to be unity. How good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. So like I shared last week, my wife and I, before we go to bed every night, you know, we talk about things and, and we pray together. We speak blessings over each other. We pray together. And, and God's presence comes in very strong. And I believe that God's presence is, is there because of the unity. And the Bible says don't go to bed angry. You know, don't let the sun set on your wrath. You need to try to talk about things and deal with things. You know, let me say it this way. If there's something to talk about in your home or if you feel like you've wronged somebody throughout the day, let me just say it this way, kind of paraphrasing what I see the Scripture saying there. Don't go to sleep until maybe you make a phone call and deal with that. If you feel like you've wronged somebody, don't go to sleep without calling them and saying, hey, I'm sorry about that. I shouldn't have said that. If there's something in the home that's not right, there's tension, don't go to bed without going to the person and saying, look, I'm sorry for anything I did, and, and just trying to just clear the air. Because once you go to sleep and, and you've got sin in your house or whatever, that's not a good thing. That's where things go from bad to worse. Amen? All right, so understanding godly authority versus witchcraft control, because there is a control. Now, this, is, this can be really deceptive, so I need you to bear with me. Somebody that is a rebellious person, let me read the next line here. The Bible says rebellion is as witchcraft in God's sight. You don't know that somebody is rebellious until they're told no. That should be, I don't know if that's, I don't think that's in the Bible, but I'm, I think that that should be. <laughs> No, somebody, you never know that somebody is rebellious until they want to do something and you say no. Then all that rebellion comes up. Okay. So somebody that's a rebellious type person, they're going to view godly authority as being oppressive. <laughs> Did everybody hear that? Let me say that again. Somebody that's rebellious they will view godly authority as being oppressive. 
even though it's not. It's God's authority. This is where it gets confusing because then you have actual oppressive witchcraft control where somebody is abusing their authority and trying to control other people in an oppressive way. You're going to have to discern the difference because whenever there's realms of control there, it can really begin to act like a python snake that begins to wrap around people's lives and squeezes the very life out of them. Trust me, you don't want to start submitting to somebody else's control over your life. But yet at the same time, with the same urgency, I would say you don't want to rebel against godly authority either because that is a huge door as well. So there's this place of understanding the difference between godly authority and witchcraft control and that you're willing to align yourself under authority, but at the same time, you're not going to be controlled by people either. And I can give you an example of this. I've had times where in the ministry, you go to somebody else's church, somebody else's ministry, and you're trying to help out, and you have to come under authority. And you don't always agree with every decision they make, and sometimes they're wrong. But the authority is going to answer to God for that. I remember my wife and I one time, she gave her testimony somewhere, and um, she had given her testimony twice in the same place. And the first time... We gave an altar call because we were doing this together. People came down to get saved. It was really good. But the second time, the same thing. It was a whole new, whole new group of people. We had the same opportunity. We wanted to give an altar call. But the authority there, the pastor there said, I don't want to do an altar call this time. So we had to submit to authority. But I did with a good attitude. I hugged him. We left. We were happy. Everybody's, you know, that's between him and God. You understand? If I was to get into rebellion, which I believe that some, I hope nobody hearing this, you know, would say, well, I would do this. See, God will not ever bless rebellion. He won't. I don't care how holy you think you are. Just by the fact that you're in rebellion, I'll just say a lot right there. And just like, for example, when we were at that conference, and I brought this up a few days ago, and there was somebody, they said, only if you have badges, be praying for people. I've seen this over and over places. They'll get up and say, listen, we're trying to protect people. If you have badges, pray for people. If you don't, don't be praying for people. There's always somebody... <laughs> In there, Pastor Jake. There's always somebody that doesn't have a badge that's going to go through and pray for everybody because they are, they are so holy that they know more than everybody else, and these guys just don't know how anointed they really are, you know. And so they got to get out there and pray for everybody. They just, these people up there in authority, they're just missing God, you know. But let me tell you, God will never, ever bless rebellion. And once you get into rebellion, that will kill the flow of God in your life. When you preach like this, I know River of Life is awesome, okay? But I've preached like this other places, and you can see squirming. I'm just saying. Because you're, you're, you're really laying the axe to the root of stuff in people's lives. Now, I've also had times, there was a time about witchcraft control. Let me tell that story. So I understand coming under authority. It doesn't mean I always agree with everything. It doesn't mean I always understand everything. But when somebody's in authority, I'm going to honor that authority, Okay? And if they say, we're not going to do this, we're just not going to do it. Now, there was another time, though, whenever I was involved with this citywide prayer meeting, and my wife and I were involved, 
There was different people that were leading it. It was a corporate effort. It was really good. But I remember that this particular night, um, all week long up to this point, people, the leaders had been coming down praying for people. It had never been a problem. And I really felt in my heart that I was supposed to get prayer. It happened to be John Kilpatrick ministering that night, and they had several different speakers. But I really felt in my spirit, he's prayed for me before, but I felt I was supposed to get prayer that night. And he came down and was praying for people. And so me and a friend of mine were standing there, and we were about to go forward, and there was this little woman that had been involved with one of the ministries that were heading this up or whatever, and we're both pastors. And she stands in front of us and says, you're not going down getting prayer. And I said, well, he's praying for people right, right there. I mean, just a few, and people are getting right. I mean, I'm not being rebellious. I mean, it's like he's praying for people. And she said, well, you're not going down. And I, and I said, well, okay, you know, I mean, we're in church, and I'm a pastor, so. This, but this didn't sit well with me. I don't like stuff like that. Anyway, so I was standing there, and I'm just, you know, letting the Lord minister to me. And I just said, I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, look, if you want me to get prayer, you're going to have to. And I don't remember how it worded. I'm thinking in my mind, you're going to have to deal with this woman, right? This is, listen, this is no joke. This is exactly how it happened. And it, it had to be God because it was way too um, obvious. I, I said that little prayer, you know, and I opened my eyes and she turned and started going off on somebody else. And I was like, okay, she's no longer the problem. And I turned and right as I turned, I'm not kidding and I'm not exaggerating. It was like the waters parted. All these people moved to the left and to the right. There was a tunnel right to, and this, it's not over. So I just started walking toward Pastor Kilpatrick. I thought, well, you know, she's, God, God dealt with that, you know, Jezebel spirit. And I just started walking toward him. Right as I get to the man, I get right behind him. He turns and prays for me and falls. It was hilarious. Anyway, y'all know the story, but, but it was something that, that a Jezebel, in other words, I felt God wanted to touch me that night. And it was important what God did that night. And right as I was going to do that, there was this Jezebel spirit that rose up in a ugly witchcraft control way, standing there saying, no, you're not going down. You know. So there's a difference between godly authority that's trying to protect and witchcraft control that's just trying to control and oppress. Let me say that again. There's a difference between godly authority that's simply trying to protect and do things that are right with God as opposed to witchcraft control authority, which is just trying to control and oppress. There's a difference. So here's some traits to look for. We dealt with order in the home, and I'm going to deal with a few other things tonight that I just need to make sure that we all understand. But dishonor and disrespect toward God's authority with the Jezebel spirit will be very strong. But the sad thing is when people begin to get a wrong spirit toward authority, they no longer can really receive from that authority. Did y'all hear that? And this may be their pastor. This may be their source. See, God flows through lines of authority, and God is wanting to flow through lines of authority and touch everybody in the church through, through the pastor and the staff, etc. He's wanting to flow through lines of authority into a home. But when somebody gets a wrong spirit about them and they begin to dishonor, disrespect the authority, they begin to set something up where they cannot actually really receive very much from that authority anymore. And so in actual fact, they're hurting themselves the most. There's a scripture where 
Jezebel and Ahab. Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. You remember that? And Naboth told him, look, this was an inheritance issue. I'm not giving you my vineyard because I got it from my dad. He got it from his dad. It's in the family. Well, Ahab went home and was sulking like a baby. And, and Jezebel saw him and said, what are you crying about? And he said, why? Naboth, Naboth wouldn't give me his vineyard. And she said, well, I'll take care of it. And she leaves. Let me tell you something about a Jezebel spirit. A lot of times this spirit more than anything else wants to stay hidden. And Jezebel actually did not carry out the dirty deed here. What she did was the Bible called them worthless sons of Belial, okay? But she found some worthless, worthless people in the Bible. That's what the Bible called them. Some worthless people that she could get them to do her dirty work for them. And she told them, I want you in the middle of the feast to jump up and say, hey, I heard Naboth over here cursing God. And so she just sat back kind of in her little hiding place, if you will, and let these worthless sons of Belial go in there and falsely accuse Naboth, and it cost Naboth his life, and he was stoned to death and killed because of what they said. So a lot of times a Jezebel spirit will go behind the scenes and use other people. And I'm trying to say all this just to kind of help because there's going to be things I promise you down the road that come up. So about a Jezebel spirit, there was the wisdom of Evan Roberts. Y'all remember him from the Welsh Revival. His mother had left a prayer meeting and felt she, it was not time for her to leave. I see a lot of people say, well, that's not a big deal. But on her way home, she felt so convicted by the Holy Spirit that she had grieved the Lord by leaving prematurely. And she felt, I mean, a strong conviction. The Bible says godly sorrow leads to repentance. Now, here's what a lot of people would have done. A lot of people would have just put their arm around their mom and said, Mom, it's not a big deal. You left the meeting a little early. You know, let's just, just shake that off. Let's go home, right? But Evan knew that this conviction was from the Lord. It was early on in the revival, and God was trying to convict the leaders and the prayer leaders and people to not do that because the revival was causing services to go longer and it was significant that these type of people stayed, okay? So God, the Holy Spirit was dealing with this woman. And Evan Roberts had the wisdom to know we're not going to just shake this off. And he knelt down with her and prayed with her, and together they repented. There's a big difference. See, a lot of places, a lot of people just want to shake it off, and there's a lot of places that will teach in a way that's leading people, I'll just shake that off. It's not that big a deal. But Evan knew that it was a big deal to God. And here's why I say that. Because I've seen when you're dealing with a Jezebel spirit, and I'm going to deal with Ahab before I close, okay? But when you're dealing with the Jezebel spirit, this is pr primarily what I've seen. I've seen this thing in operation and dealt with it in my sermons probably going back to around 2002, okay? So that's how long I've been preaching on this. And I've seen a lot of crazy stuff. I've seen times where I was just reading the Bible and somebody would snicker and mock. Do you believe that? In church? Anyway, and so here's what I've seen with the Jezebel spirit. When you begin to expose it to a person, it will take it the wrong way. That person will get offended. Y'all hearing me? Listen. That person a lot of times will get offended and feel very personal that you're attacking them. No matter how loving you present this, no matter how much 
you show them the fruit in their life and try to talk to them about it in a very kind way with a sweet tone of voice. This is how Jezebel protects her territory. I hope that y'all hear this. This is how she protects her territory is by getting somebody upset and they feel this way, that, that spirit puts this in them, so to speak. They feel, well, this person doesn't love me. They're just attacking me. It's personal. And they'll start crying and they get really upset. I can't believe that this person would say that about me. And they get really bent out of shape and they go home and cry and they get angry. And that's a manifestation of that spirit trying to protect its territory. It doesn't want, I read it to you up here. I gave Jezebel space to repent and she didn't want to. See, it doesn't want to repent a lot of times. And sometimes I've seen where husbands were enablers. You guys ever seen somebody or heard a story where somebody was a drug addict and they go home and give their sob story to their little grandma on a fixed income? And little grandma loved them and kept giving them money, but they were just going out spending the money on drugs. Okay? Little grandma's an enabler. And grandma needs to tell them the funds have dried up. Okay? And you need to deal with this stuff, and I'm not enabling you anymore. And I've seen where husbands were enablers. Where God wanted, y'all hear me? God wanted to help this person and, and, and help them get those rough edges knocked off and was using maybe the church, the spiritual authority in love to begin to deal with these things. But this person would get bent out of shape or whatever, and I've seen this in several different cases, so I'm just going through it in my mind here, but this person would get out, bent out of shape and, and cry and get really upset and go home and sulk and, and cry and get really angry. And the husband, what does he do? pats him on the back. Oh, it's okay. What did Evan Roberts do? Evan Roberts helped him repent. There's a difference. But I've seen husbands just say, oh, it's okay, and then come back and get upset at the, whatever leader it was that dealt with it. And what that husband doesn't realize they're doing is, is they're actually being used by Jezebel and Ahab to keep that person in bondage. They're not helping them. They're not helping them repent. And I've seen where some people, because of that, have never, ever changed. And other people, they could have changed years ago, but it drug on for a long time. And to the degree, I've seen it this way too, where that person, God knew that that person that was struggling with the Jezebel spirit wants to be free, but he also knew that they were so easily offended and so difficult to deal with that nobody in the church can help them. And then he looks at the husband, he realizes, you know what, this guy's just going to pat him on the back and and sue them. He's not going to deal with it either. He's just going to be an enabler. So here's what God does in his great love and mercy. He tailor makes a trial that will set in motion in that person's life, and it's not going to stop until they repent. And it will be tailor made and be extremely difficult, but it will break them down to a place of humility where they change. It could have been done the easy way, but it had to come the hard way because they would not listen and come under authority. See, in the church world, God uses authority to help knock the rough edges off of us, doesn't he? It's too quiet. This is river of life. Okay, what do y'all? God uses the church world to knock the rough edges off, okay, and deal with things that need to be dealt with and expose things that need to be exposed. 
When you're dealing with Jezebel and Ahab, a true Jezebel spirit, if it's not repentant, let me say this, there's degrees. Just like, have you ever seen where maybe the flu starts going through an area, like a workplace, and somebody will get a lot more sick than another person? The Jezebel spirit's like a virus. When it starts moving, if people have things in their life that are giving it place, some people will have an issue with that spirit on a low level, some people kind of on a medium level, and then you've got full-on Jezebels, just full-on. I've personally never seen a full-on Jezebel repent. I'm, I know that they can. I've just never seen it. But God will help them break through, but a full-on Jezebel will destroy a husband. And if they're not dealt with and they're allowed to run free in a church, they will destroy a church. I saw a full-on Jezebel one time, um, and I have a witness in this room how it went down. My wife was with me when I saw the pastor years later. But anyway, this woman, full-on Jezebel, and I, I told her in love, she would sit there and berate her husband in front of the staff. And I would just sit back there just, you know, it, was, it really bothered me. But anyway, I went to this, this woman in private with just a couple other people, in love, I went there. The Lord spoke to me. I went there and tried to talk to her about the fruit that I saw, which was horrible. And what did she do? No repentance. She just cried. She was the victim. I was the bad guy. What was I thinking? And so she goes to her pastor, and I told her pastor, I said in love, I said, man, listen, I really feel in my spirit that God's trying to deal with this woman. She's not listening. But if you don't deal with her in your church, I really feel that down the road, you will regret it big time. Remember, my wife can verify because we saw this pastor years later. I found out later she had had a big affair on her husband. She had done all this stuff, and she went into the church. The pastor never dealt with her. She split that church at that time. It had built up to about maybe 300. It was a good church. She so split it down to maybe running about 30. That's what he told me. Wasn't that about right? totally destroy that church. It was only the grace of God that it didn't close the doors. And I told him, you can't just let those type of people run free in a church. And he, of course, when he saw me later, he apologized about it, and it was real gracious. But man, how much could have been avoided if he would have just listened to that back then? And here's the thing about the Jezebel spirit, too. It will make the victim look like the bad guy, and the bad guy looked like a victim. I've seen this more than once where somebody, for example, has, I'll give you a story. When I was in Sulphur Springs, I'll give you an example. There was a guy that really loved God, and he was sincere, but he had this rebellious wife. She not only left him, destroyed their family, but then she turned around after she had the affair, after she did everything, and she turned his children against him that somehow the whole thing was his fault. And she was the victim. There's a couple things tonight that need to be written down. And that's one of them. Jezebel will make the bad guy look like the victim and the victim look like the bad guy every time. I've seen stuff like that over and over and over. 
I've heard stories sitting with pastors and listening to all these stories they tell me. They've been in ministry for years of how some horrible split, this and that happened, and they were made out to be the bad guy, but yet the whole time they were the victim of somebody with this Jezebel spirit that was destroying the church. And even with that full-on Jezebel I was talking about that split that church, actually he was telling the pastor, they was telling my wife and I that she had the nerve the way that she split that church, listen to this. This will give you some insight into what I'm trying to say. You know how she split that church from 300 down to 30? She had an affair on her husband, and then she blamed the pastor that he didn't stop it from happening. Did anybody else just feel like you got a little stupider right there? Yeah. Well, listen, I'm sitting there going, how does that even compute? But the people were so under the influence of that that they followed her in a rebellion against that pastor because of that mindset. While well, I went to the pastor and told him I'd had these, these lustful urges and stuff, and he didn't stop it. The pastor told her, said, well, don't act on it, you know. But, but she went out and had the affair, and somehow it was his fault. And so she turned all these people against him. And his authority, as I'm telling you all this for a reason, this so he's going through chaos, and he calls his authority, his apostolic covering, told them to come down. They met with her and said to him, I see no repentance in this woman. You need to kick her out of the church. And he said, well, and he felt sorry for her. Let me finish. And instead of submitting to the authority like he should have done, he tried to just deal with her, and we know how it ended. So we know from the scriptures, when you're dealing with this unrepentance, Matthew 18 says, go to him in private, take witnesses. But then if, they're, if they're just not going to repent, you kick them out of the church. And that solves the problem. That's the biblical way of handling it. But a lot of people don't want to do that because they don't want to be the bad guy. Let me say this, too. When people are in authority, and I understand this pastoring, okay, it's challenging enough being in authority. It's, do you understand it? It's challenging enough being the husband, having to make the decisions, knowing that you've got people under your authority and being a, a pastor or whatever else, maybe somebody a manager at work or whatever it is where you're in authority, that has enough challenges without somebody being a rebel constantly trying to cause problems. All right, a couple more things. Confusion. Man, when a Jezebel spirit is on the move, there will be a lot of confusion. Yeah, that's there with Leviathan too, but how many of you guys have ever said something? And then the other person, man, you, you just know that they're saying, well, you said this and you did this and this happened. And you're sitting there going, I know that that didn't happen, but they're trying to convince me that it did, that somehow I said that. And it's so, it's so much confusion. How many of you have ever experienced that? And let me say this too. Be very careful what you come into agreement with. Let me say that again. Be very careful what you come into agreement with. I, I'm going to give just a couple quick examples real fast. But let's say somebody comes in, and I believe that prophetic people can give warnings. I believe that, and you guys know, and, and I'll come back to this in a moment, but you guys know that I have some intercessors that share things with me. And I believe God can give a warning. 
But sometimes when somebody has like a Jezebel spirit, it's like a false prophet type spirit, they may go to a leader and they may have seen something, but they'll say to that pastor, well, I see your car wrapped around a tree and I see you in a coffin. Now, you got to be careful what you come into agreement with. Amen? Because listen to me. I'm telling you, if you come into agreement with those things, oh, no. And you start agreeing with that stuff and you start speaking that stuff, it can actually set that stuff in motion. The way to handle that is, is to right then and there just say, you know, thank you that you shared that, but I'm not going to wrap around a tree. And I'm not going to die for my time. Now, there may be some kind of symbolism there some symbolism. I thank you for sharing. I'll pray about it, but I'm, I'm not going to have a car wreck and I'm not going to die for my time. But thank you for sharing that because there might be some symbolism. In it. And like, for example, what about when you go to the doctor? Listen, I love doctors, but they're trained a certain way. And one of their trainings is, is to give you the worst case scenario. Okay. So you go to the doctor and they tell you something and they're like, yeah, you'll, you know, you'll be dead in six months or whatever. You know, you have this incurable thing and you know, you, you'll be lucky to make 10 years and Listen, if you come into agreement with that, I, you know, I accept that, and, and then you begin to speak that, don't be surprised if you didn't set it in motion. How many Christians have gone, though, to doctors, and the doctor gave them a bad report, and they said, Doc, I appreciate you, but that's not going to happen because Jesus is going to heal me. And they lived beyond what the doctor said, and God did touch them. But you can't come into agreement with these things. Excuse me, and that's what that Jezebel spirit will do a lot of times. Will release curses of different kinds. Right, I've already dealt with a lot with husbands and wives and spouses, but treating each other with respect and honor and staying in unity in the home is so important. And before I get off of that, let me say we deserve what we tolerate. As a leader, there's always the temptation that whenever you've got to confront something and deal with something, especially if you know how the person is going to react, there's always the temptation to say, well, you know, let's just sweep it under the rug and not deal with it. But see, that would be the Ahab thing to do. The Christ-like thing to do is to go confront it in love. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? A lot of times people will be passive about it, but you have to be assertive. You've got to deal with it. And a lot, if you'll go and you'll, you're led by the Lord and you're being scriptural and you're doing it the right way, God will back you up. But I wonder how many times if, if leaders would have dealt with something, but they tolerated it. They tolerated that child, um, you know, dressing a certain way when they were little, and then they grew up later to dress real seductive and get pregnant you know, at 16 or whatever, you know. And they could have dealt, if they would have dealt with stuff in the home early on, they allowed that, that son to sass back to him and to, and to say things to the mother and to be that way. And then they got older and their, their son is now in a gang and he's real rebellious. And what would have happened if he would have rose up in his authority while they were young and broke that stubbornness and disciplined them and trained them in the ways of God? I've seen, I've been in the ministry long enough to have seen things like this, and I, and I could give a specific time not that long ago that there was a woman, and I, I understand she's probably doing her best, but she was raising a couple boys. They didn't have a dad in their life, and these guys, I mean to tell you, I know the pastor as well, but they came here 
And I had to deal with it with those kids, but they had no respect for God. They had absolutely no respect for God's house. They just sat back and snickered and laughed. They had no respect whatsoever. And they needed a dad when they were little to discipline them and teach them some respect. But you deserve what you tolerate. And they didn't deal with it. And now these guys are bigger than mama. And that's just the way that they are. And unless God comes in their life and, I mean, allows some trials that really break them down to a, a humility and deal with that stuff, it'll be very difficult for them. But God can do it, amen? But unless God does it, it was not dealt with in the home the way God intended it to be dealt with, and it's going to have to be a difficult thing in their adult life to be dealt with now. And some people have more of a rebellious streak than others. I don't know a whole lot about, you know, raising and dealing with horses. My wife does. She did a lot of that when they were young. But I know this. I know that some of them, it's harder to break them than others, isn't it? But if you ever break them, it could end up being, though, that they're your best horse once you get that stubborn streak broken. They could be your best horse. But sometimes it's harder to break that in one horse than it is another. It's the same way with kids. Sometimes some of them are more bent on a rebellious streak than others. Let me tell you. I've also seen where there was a rebellious wife that would not submit to her husband, and it bred rebellion in the children. And I've seen the result of Jezebel Holmes in children, that they're confused, they have insecurities, they have issues in their life because they didn't grow up in a house that was in proper order. God can fix it. Amen. God can fix anything. When we come to Jesus, he can heal anything. He can fix anything. I don't mean this in a negative way. I mean that parents now begin to deal with things they need to. Some of you are going to have children deal with things now that you need to, but the child needs to grow up in a home that's in order with a dad figure. Because let me tell you, a lot of young people relate to God the Father the way that they relate to their dad. And they get older, and they had a real passive dad that wasn't there for them and stuff, and they have a hard time reconciling God the Father in their mind about all of that. And they need that fatherly leadership and that authority that's there, but they also need the nurture and love of a mom. And when you have a home like that, and they, see, they grow up seeing mama treat their dad with respect, and they grow up seeing dad treat their mom with respect, and they see the order, there's a security in that and they grow up mentally and emotionally healthy. That's the way God wants it to be. But don't tolerate rebellion in your home. If you do, it can allow an oppression in your home from things like a Jezebel spirit. If you have rebellion in your kids, don't be like these parents that are out there today. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Society has changed. Parents now want to be friends with their kids instead of discipline them. Don't be like that. Be biblical and set your home in order. You know why God was pleased with Abraham? It said in the scriptures because he commanded his household after him. Joshua didn't take a vote. Hey, guys, I'm thinking as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, but let's all get a hands up. Who wants to serve God? Joshua didn't do that. Joshua said, look, this is the way it is. You're my wife. You're my kids. As for me and this house, we're serving God. Let me tell you something, too you got to make up your mind that me and my family, we're going to heaven. The devil isn't going to have one of them. Amen? Whew. 
I feel it just chipping away tonight. Listen, this is something that's going to bring a lot of freedom when we deal with this tonight and in the future. All right, some questions to ask. I want you to think about this and write some things down if it comes to you. But number one, are there people in your life that are controlling you? Are there people in your life that are controlling you? It's not, it's not a healthy leadership. It's control and it's oppressive. That needs to be broken. When Benny Baker was here, he told me, he said, you know, he said, I've got this particular woman in my, in my church that has Jezebel tendencies. He says, I love her. My family loves her, but unfortunately, I can't, I, I know in my spirit, I can't really use her in the church. I can't give her any, anything to do because of these tendencies, and she's never dealt with them. Wouldn't it be sad to stand before the Lord one day, and the Lord saying, I could have done so much more. I don't want to stand before the Lord one day and hear those words. I would say to the Lord now, Lord, whatever you got to do in me, just do it. Show me, I'll repent. I want to be different. I want to change. But see, one of the areas we need to change is, are we allowing people to control us and, and oppress our lives? That can suffocate, smother out the fire of God and the, the gifting that God's wanting to use us in. But at the same time, people have got to be able to come under authority and honor authority and all of that to even be used by God in the first place. Secondly, are there things institutions, organizations, or people groups that control your life. Not just a person, but now a people group. I've heard of people that come out of churches that were cults that were extremely oppressive and controlling. The whole church. Number three, is there a place for idolatry or immorality in your life? Remember I read at the beginning that Jezebel teaches God's people, immorality and idolatry. These are the two areas where the Jezebel spirit is very strong. Are there idols in your life, things that are too important to you, things that you have not surrendered to the Lord and allowed him to deal with? I'll tell you, things are just coming to me as I'm preaching. I'm just going to say them as they come. But there are, and I don't, this is nobody here. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying in churches by and large. I've seen, though, where there'll be a person that the devil knows that they're just a time bomb. He knows their issues and he knows how they are. And they're sitting there in church and the devil's waiting for an opportune time when it's spiritual warfare time now and he'll kind of tap them on the shoulder and it'll manifest and now it's like a bomb went off in the church. That's why we've got to be so careful about who's in authority and who isn't. Amen? Because some people are just a time bomb. And God can't trust them with anything. He has to keep them. I'll tell you, in our church, we pray a lot about different areas like this. But we've had elders speak blessings. And there was one person that had a Jezebel spirit that started to come around, and I discerned it. But you know what? It was interesting to watch how this person could not physically come on the property and distance themselves, got offended, and were gone, and never developed a relationship with anybody in the church. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. But that's an answer to prayer. So number one, is there people you're allowing to control you? Number two, is there institutions that are controlling you? 
Number three, is there idolatry or immorality? Is it okay that I talk for a moment about immorality? All right. Sexual sins. The only sex that God sanctions is a husband and a wife in marriage. That's it. Whether that's politically correct or not, it really doesn't make me any difference. That's just the way, that's what the Bible says. All right, so that includes pornography. Amen? Because you're looking with lust. Now, let me say some things I feel like will help people if you'll hear me. The Bible says in Song of Solomon to not allow love to awaken itself until proper time. Most people in today's society, their sexuality was awakened prematurely, not in marriage. It was awakened in lust. It was awakened in pornography or it was awakened in fornication, sex outside of marriage. But that's how their sexuality was awakened. So that's what's normal to them. And that's how they relate to sexuality. So whenever they get married and now in a holy relationship, husband and wife, they have a hard time in their relationship sexually. So how do you deal with that? How many knows Jesus can fix anything? All right. Here's what you do. You ask the Lord and believe, but you ask the Lord to put your sexuality back to sleep like it's supposed to be, purify it, cleanse out any pollution, and allow it to be awakened in marriage in a holy way. I'll deal more with that at a later time when we deal with relationships, but that's why some people have a hard time in their marital relationships because there's something there that was awakened in the wrong way. All right. Also about immorality. The Jezebel spirit traffics very strong in sexual sins. Don't give place to this. Young people, let me tell you, say, well, why is sexual sin such a big deal? You have no idea how big of a deal it really is. I don't think I can emphasize it to you enough. It is one of the few things that can defile. You hearing me? I want every, every person to hear me. It's one of the few things that can defile your body, your soul, and your spirit simultaneously. The Bible says when you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. And so people come into tremendous bondage sexually. But God can set you free. He wants to break the power of that thing. And here's another thing. There are spirits, and some people have come to me over the years about this, so let's go ahead and talk about it because you're not going to hear about it anywhere else but in church. But there's, there's things that happen to people in the nighttime sexually. All right. There are spirits that traffic in that realm. They're called incubus, succubus, spirits. They traffic in the realm of messing with people at night sexually. There's a spirit named Lilith, and it actually is in the Bible. A lot of people don't know this. I didn't know it until I stumbled upon it. But it's in the Hebrew, and I believe it's Isaiah 35 where it talks about Babylon. But it, you can find it. It talks about Babylon. And the Greek translates it, the screech owl and the he-goat. That's what they translate. But in the Hebrew, it's Seder and Lilith. Seder and Lilith are in the Bible, and they're demonic spirits that traffic sexually, and they work with Jezebel spirits. Meaning this, the Seder spirit works with an Ahab, Jezebel Ahab thing, to create sexual bondage in a man. The Lilith spirit works with Jezebel and Ahab to create sexual bondage in a woman's life. And I can't get too deep into this, but it is something that goes on. And Jezebel, see, people say, well, why are things happening? Think about it. Whenever you pray about something and you don't see a breakthrough, a lot of people get out of faith and they start going, well, I guess God hears everybody but me. That's not what the Bible says. 
well, I guess God's not going to do it. That's not what the Bible says. What they need to be doing, instead of having the pity party, they need to say, God, where am I missing it? Show me. What is the root problem here? Is there a strong man? You see, a lot of times people were hacking away at the branches and knocking fruit off, but they don't deal with the root issue or the strong man behind the scene. So in other words, somebody's dealing with a stubborn battle with lust, and they go, what is the deal? Well, it might be that Jezebel and Ahab are in your life. Your home's out of order. And you're not dealing with that. And so now underneath that realm, there's sexual spirits trafficking. Does that make sense? So you've got to deal with the strong man before you plunder his goods. And I've dealt with several people over the years that's come to me about some creepy, weird stuff going on at night. These things have got to be broken. A lot of times, Jezebel and Ahab are behind this somewhere. And when you really deal with that thoroughly, really deal with it, then these other things will clear up as well. Okay? All right. But where there's things like Jezebel and Ahab, it acts like a python because it suppresses the anointing and the giftings in people. It suppresses people's finances. It hinders, because their home's out of order, it hinders their prayers being answered. What God could be doing, it's like everything, it's like a python. It's just constricting and confining things. So here's the next question. Do you have a tendency to rebel or give authority a hard time? Hopefully that's nobody here. I love you all. Hopefully you love me too. But there are, there are people in the body of Christ, and here's how a lot of times it works. When somebody has a Jezebel spirit, they, they usually will go to a church, and before too long, they get their feelings hurt. They get offended. And so then, now, they're prophesying. The pastor is actually the devil, okay? And that's what the, the church is not of God. Ichabod is on the wall, and they, it is, it's going to be destroyed. And they begin to release these false prophecies. They begin to cause problems in the church. They begin to maybe stir up some issues. And so then the church leaders have to come in and oust the woman. What does she do? Instead of going home and repenting and changing, she goes to the next church and does the same thing. Then to the next church and does the same thing. And it's sad because every time this happens, She's more wounded and in more bondage. It's a vicious cycle in her life until she allows the Lord to deal with it thoroughly. And I see people like that, and my heart goes out, for, out to them. I grieve for them. But nobody can help them until they come under authority and say, look, I'm the one with the problem. Until they get to that place, and God may have to allow something really difficult um, in their life to break them down to that place where they realize I got to quit blaming everybody else and realize I'm the problem. Do you, do you have a tendency or do you know people like this to manipulate or be seductive? Some women that have a Jezebel spirit are very seductive. They dress seductively. They, they want to get the attention of men sexually and they have like a seducing spirit about them and they're very manipulative and controlling they know how to cry they know how to get you to feel sorry for them they know how to play on your emotions 
Or do you tend to try to be somebody that intimidates or dominates other people oppressively? Excuse me. Here's just some things I've seen over the years. People that try to intimidate and control others. Here it is. They may use a tone of voice. I've seen this through the years, a tone of voice. They may use threats, blackmail, or intimidating stares. They glare at you with hatred. I remember one, this has been more than once for me. You know, you can tell how much I'm loved, right? It's happened more than once. But I remember I was at this one church preaching, and there was this, there was this husband and wife there that just couldn't stand me. And they, you know, maybe at the time, I don't know if there was something with me that whatever, but, but they just had a wrong spirit about me. They just couldn't stand me. And I remember I was preaching, and I look out, and this woman is standing. I mean, she's just glaring at me with pure hatred in church. And I'm thinking, and I'm trying to preach, you know, and I'm seeing this. I'm going, dear God. And I remember thinking to myself, she really did look like a witch, really. And it was, it was an attempt of a Jezebel spirit to try to intimidate me. Do you see irrational anger, fear, or lustful behavior? You've prayed about it, but there's still anger there. There's still irrational fear that should not be there. Or there's still lust issues that you have not got the victory over. The root of that could be Jezebel and Ahab. And pride that leads to rebellion can be an open door as well. A lot of times, you know, if if it's not fear and control, fear, that aspect, it may be pride. Somebody feels that they're smarter than others, and who, who are you to tell me what to do? And so they have a pride issue, therefore they're rebellious. You know, let me say this too. If churches would get back, because see, I grew up around preaching that, that dealt with stuff. If churches would get back to preaching this way in love, I can feel as I'm preaching this, this, this will help so many people that hear this because they realize, you know, Maybe that is something I, I could get free from. Maybe, maybe these areas right here. I see, you know, he preached on that. You know, I never thought about it. But, that can, but a lot of churches are, are now, what they'll do is they get up there and they just go, Jesus loves everybody. You know, and, and that's the depth of their message. That's as deep as it's going to go, buddy. It's a motivational speech. And everybody leaves there the same as they came. Here's the last couple things. A Jezebel can be a very cold, loving, hardened individual that will do whatever they have to do to stay in control. They seem void of normal human love and affection, and they are very difficult to love. It will take the grace of God to love. Let me read this again. This can be. This is you know kind of an extreme thing, but I've seen it. A Jezebel can be a very cold, loving, hardened individual They will do whatever they have to do to stay in control. I mean anything, anything, criminal activity, anything to stay in control. They seem void of any normal human love and affection. And they're very difficult people to love. Or the other flip side of the coin, a Jezebel can be a very needy, clingy, insecure manipulative woman that really wants a lot of attention, okay, that will give you whatever she thinks you want to try to control you in that way. So let me close out talking about um, Ahab. 
All right, so the Ahab spirit, this is the counterpart to Jezebel. This attacks men a lot of times. And what this spirit will do will put a man into bondage where he has a, a very difficult time leading his family. And if it's in a pastor or something, a very difficult time rising up in his authority and dealing with things. Where there should be people in the church that maybe are trouble and you have to deal with it, they'll shy back from it. Before revival came, and I've told this story, so bear with me, but I want it in this recording. Before revival broke out at a particular place where they saw a lot of people saved, a great move of God, the pastor had to get up and deal with some people, and the evangelist of the revival was there years before the revival. And he said he sat on the platform, and I heard this from the evangelist himself. He sat on the platform, and the pastor got up and said, I have to deal with something today before we move on. And he gets on the pulpit, and there's a lot of people there, and he, he says for Bob and his family or whatever to rise. And he told him, he said, guys, look, here at church, I'm just letting you know from this day forward, I've gone to you in private. I've talked to you. I've taken witnesses. We've talked to you. We've done everything we know to do to get you to repent, but you've just flat refused to repent. You're spreading gossip in the church. You're, you're destroying relationships. You're causing turmoil in this church, and we've asked you to repent. We've dealt with you. And at this point in time, you're no longer members of this church. Gather up your stuff. The ushers are going to help you. You're going to leave this church, and you're not welcome here anymore. Don't come back. And the ushers went and got him and escorted him out. And that evangelist said, man, he said when those people left the building, he said it was like a black cloud came off that church. Matthew 18, dealing with these things. But see, somebody that's an Ahab type of person will not deal with stuff. How I many of you guys were at that meeting with Rodney when he had to deal with that spirit? Remember that? <laughs> that was interesting. But he had to call somebody down because they were out a lot. All right, anyway, but in Ahab, just like Jezebel will protect that territory through, you know, this attitude, I'm a victim, they're attacking me, cry, pity party stuff like that, the Ahab spirit will protect their territory differently. The Ahab spirit will protect its territory with anger. I've had to deal with it. Somebody that has an Ahab spirit, when you begin to deal with it, they have a tendency to get very angry, abnormally angry. And they'll begin to lash out. <clears throat> what that is, is that Ahab spirit trying to protect that territory. And in a loving way, when you're trying to expose these things, let me tell you something kind of just to show you how Jezebel works. I've got a lot of these stories. But anyway, let me tell you one. So there was this couple that I was ministering to. I brought nothing up about Jezebel and Ahab at all. But I knew, I felt that there was something there, and the fruit of their life bore out that there was something there. And I was counseling them about some other issues, and we were kind of praying together, and the wife was just so happy. And Well, before they left, she said, well, Pastor, I, you know, I'm just asking you this. I kind of feel I need to ask you, but do you see something maybe we need to deal with? I said, well, I do. I kind of feel like the home's out of order. I kind of feel like maybe there's a little bit of Jezebel they have tendencies, and, you know, God will help you. And I was real sweet about it. Here's the manifestation. You ready? I'm standing there, this sweet little lady. All of a sudden, her countenance is so happy, and she turns like this. And I'm like, uh-oh, I done poked the bear. <laughs> and 
this is what she did. God is my witness. She pulled her sleeve down because we had anointed her and prayed with her. She pulled her sleeve down and wiped the oil off. And she's glaring at me with hatred. She goes back in there and gets her husband. They storm out. That was pleasant. Yeah. They never got free. Last I heard, he contacted me desperate, and, and she was messing around with another man, and it, it was really sad. And they had kids. I, I mean, I grieve for the children. But you see, the thing is, God wanted to deal with it, but they, she especially was not in a place to receive any help. I mean, the only way that's going to change in that woman's life, if she doesn't change, is a, a trial that will break her down to a place of humility where God can deal with it. All right, so an Ahab will struggle with lust and anger, be very passive to go along to get along, and will never rise up in his godly authority. And it can be a real stronghold sometimes that will keep a family and a church in bondage until it's dealt with. But how many knows that Jesus can set us free? All right, so these strongholds that are in families and churches, they can traffic down bloodlines, and they seem to gain power as it cycles from one generation to the next. If you see it in a biological family, it will try to go down the bloodline. And as it goes down the bloodline from generation to generation, it will try to gain more power every successive generation. And in a church, same thing. It will try to keep cycling in that church. you got the older crowd that leave, new crowd comes, but it's a spirit. And it will try to cycle from one generation to the next in a church and get worse over time until somebody deals with it. There was a story of a pastor. This was kind of funny. He went to this church, and there was this, these women that were causing problems or whatever, and this is a true story. He was praying and fasting and seeking God because it seemed like that church just would not get a breakthrough. I mean, everything that he tried to do, it was like something was oppressing and holding that church back. And he goes in prayer and fasting and was seeking God, and the Lord told him that there were two women in the church and that every single time that God started to move and that church started to see breakthroughs that they would start causing problems in the church, spreading gossip, etc., and it would hinder everything. And so he, he got up behind the pulpit. He had spent some time in prayer and fasting and heard from God. This is a true story. And um, he said, I'm closing out my sermon, and he said it's about to turn 12. It was like a couple minutes till 12, and he said, I've heard from God about this. There's two women in this church. This is what you do. And he said, I'm giving you till 12 o'clock to come clean and let's deal with it here. And the clock was ticking, right? And it was like just this awkward silence, you know. And one of them jumped up and said, I'm one of them and she's the other. <laughs> True story. And they came down and repented. And you know what? The power of that thing, the power of that thing broke. That's a true story. But here's the thing. It's funny, but that church got a breakthrough. See, there was a spirit that was holding that church back. And once it ex got exposed, they came down and they really repented and dealt with it. And it broke off that church. And then once they realized that they were wrong for doing that, they realized what the devil was doing and they repented. Everything changed. All right. Here's what I want to close with, and we'll pray, and I'm going to let people pray, and then if you want prayer tonight, we'll pray for everybody. But here's what I've seen after all these years. Very few people ever really change in this category. 
Did y'all hear that? I read it up here. I'll read it again. The Lord said, I gave her space to repent, time to repent, but she does not want to repent. What Jesus did at Calvary was enough. It was thorough. Any sin can be cleansed. Any sickness was paid for by his stripes. Any bondage to the devil was paid for by his blood as he hung on the cross that we can be completely cleansed of our sin, healed, and delivered. So there's no excuse as far as what Jesus did at Calvary. There's not. It's thorough. And the Bible's clear. But what I've seen is, is very few people that have these issues right here really want to change. That's the key. That right there, they don't really truly want to change. And some of them will say, well, yeah, I do, but they, they really don't. So I have seen, though, a handful of people in my life that really did struggle with these things that are not anything like this anymore. They really have changed. But it takes somebody humbling themselves down to the ground in humility before God and saying, Lord, whatever you got to cut out of me, cut it out. Whatever you got to change in me, change it. And then there's also an element of where we are willing to renew our minds and change old patterns. You know, if you're just saying, well, I'm just going to lay on the ground and God's going to do it all. I mean, there is an aspect of us getting up and saying, you know, I used to respond this way, but now by the grace of God and with his help, I'm not going to respond that way anymore. And we begin to do our part as the Lord helps us to change old patterns. The cross is enough. It's going to take humility and repentance. It's going to take that you take authority over the control and break these curses. And I'm going to go through tonight and people that feel that something is there and you feel like maybe there's a control there from somebody, we're going to break that. But you can't keep going back to that control and let people control you. If you know that these people are not healthy, and like you have friends that are that way, then maybe you need to find new friends especially if you talk to them about it and they still do it. If you've got family members that are really bad that way, listen, love them, honor them, bless them, but it doesn't mean that they've got to be your best friends and you spend all the time in the world with them either, okay? There is a healthy distance there. You're going to have to rebuke the enemy. You're going to have to stand firm in your freedom, and you're going to have to commit to change. God will help you, and God will change the things that we can't. But there is an element there of us doing our part to begin to, to respond differently to situations where maybe we were used to be disrespectful and dishonoring to our spouse that we say, look, Lord, forgive me and help me. And maybe you start to do it and you catch yourself now because the Holy Spirit's helping you. You know, he he's causes you to notice it and you stop and you go, Lord, I'm not going to do it. And you respond differently. Maybe before your husband would say, look, this is what I feel like we need to do. And you would buck that and challenge that. I don't know. And now it's like the Holy Spirit says, stop it. And you just stop and say, okay, I'm sorry. And you just, we're going to do what you say. We're going to come under authority. And you begin to honor your husband. Same thing with the husband. Maybe you used to be passive and, and, and force <laughs> through your passivity, force your wife to have to make the decisions, you know. But now it's like, you know, I see that pattern in my life. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to rise up in my authority, start leading. 
and we begin to change these old patterns. But I'm telling you, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, he will help us. He will help us. All right. Let's do this tonight. I'm going to have Brother Zach put on some worship and maybe just that number five. So I want us really to pray for a little bit and just where you're at, find a place to pray. If you want to go somewhere and get on your face or whatever, wherever you want to go. But I want you to really pray about this stuff because this is serious. And let's ask the Lord to forgive us if there's anything in our lives that needs to be forgiven or changed and ask him to change us.